If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke 7. Luke 7. And let's pray together. Lord, thank You again for all that You're doing in this body. And, and Lord, really thank You for what You're doing in this valley. And we do collectively pray for uh, the Stand Strong event. Even now we do uh, look forward to seeing what You are going to do at, at Nordoff on that evening as the gospel goes forth, and, and we are uh, privileged to be a part of your work. And so, Lord, uh, we lift that event up to you. And, and Lord, again, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit being sent to us. And once again, we, we acknowledge our absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit to, to not just help us understand your word, but to make it real in the book of James that we're not just to be hearers but we're to be doers of the word and, and if we think that hearing is enough we're really being deceived and we don't want to be deceived Lord so uh, we uh, ask you to do what only you can do we thank you for uh, this summer and what we've been learning and so Lord uh, speak to us now through your truth in Jesus name Amen this summer we have uh, really been directed into a, a series in many ways that, that has, has brought us back to the core, the foundation of our walk with Jesus. Way back in uh, June, early July, when the, when the Supreme Court decision came down, uh, redefining uh, marriage and, and the real upheaval and, and shaking that, that occurred in the country and in the church as a whole, uh, we, we read a quote back on that first Sunday we gathered after that decision came down and, and uh, a pastor had said, well, you know, in light of that decision, uh, everything has changed and yet nothing has changed. And we took that as a springboard into a summer series on, okay, Lord, despite our changing laws, despite our changing world, despite our changing uh, value system, if you want to call it that, what hasn't changed? What, what really hasn't changed? How, how, can we, how can we continue to press on, as the Apostle Paul says? How can we press on with you, Jesus? How can we stay focused? How can we stay on course? And, and we learn, we do that by, by focusing on what hasn't changed. Sometimes we get so riled up watching the news. Hmm? You know, we get... We get we get anxiety, we get stress, we get angry, we get, right? We rant and rave. Oh, no, 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 no. And, 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 and sometimes we get so spun emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, but because we're focusing on what's changing. And, and the stability and the peace that we can have in the Lord is to really choose to focus on what hasn't changed and to do that. And to pursue that with all of our being. And so we, we've learned, right? The, the call to follow Jesus hasn't changed. He says, hey, be all in with me. Be all in with me. The truth of Scripture hasn't changed. Right? And we've been looking at, at the last three weeks, the nature of, of this, what we call this covenant relationship with God. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you enter what's in a, called a covenant relationship with God. A covenant, right? Much like marriage is a covenant. And the last few weeks we've been saying, okay, Lord, in the midst of a changing culture, remind me again through your word what this covenant relationship is really all about. Because if we can stay true to the covenant, 
in many ways we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Right? If you can choose in a marriage covenant to be true and faithful to that one person, right? The vows that you recite till death do us part. If you were sold out and committed to the vows in your marriage, despite changing finances and changing health and all these other worldly circumstances, but if you're true and focused on that covenant, you're good. Despite the changing circumstances all around us, right? Despite the ups and downs of life, our covenant, our commitment to the covenant, we're solid. We're solid, right? Till death do us part. Same thing with the Lord. You enter into a covenant with the Lord and much of our sanctification, much of our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit is really born out of the simplicity of staying true to the covenant. In fact, coming to Wednesday night, reading Scripture, praying, coming to church, a lot of these to-dos are born out of our commitment to the covenant. Right? We, we, we've used Wes and Olivia uh, quite a few times and, and we've sort of determined collectively that Wes does what he does at home because he loves his wife and is true to his covenant of marriage. His actions flow out of his commitment to the covenant. Amen? That's what we do with the Lord. We've got to settle the nature of the covenant and then we've got to focus on when, when he says, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, well, in many ways he's saying, hey, just be all in in the covenant. Be all in in the relationship. If you're all in this way, watch what happens this way. Watch what happens this way. But when we flip it and we got, oh, it's all duty, and now they want me to do this, now they want me to do counseling, now they want me to be an usher. I usher every Sunday. I usher every Sunday. What do they mean they want me to do more? Right? If we, if, we, if we focus on the to-dos, then yeah, Christianity just becomes a bunch of duty and drudgery. You lose your joy. Because all you're doing is going from one Christian thing to the next Christian thing. Checking it off the list. If you're committed to the covenant and you're committed to growing in your love for the Lord, you joyfully give it up. You joyfully. Much of our struggle in our sanctification with Jesus is a struggle between, do I want to give it up? This is mine. You want, my, you want more time? You want more money? You want more of my resources? You want me? Right? And that, that's really the heartbeat. So we're talking about the last few weeks, this idea of covenant. And Jesus, when he says new covenant in the New Testament, it's a very specific word, right? Just a quick review. It's diatheke. Right? We enter into a diatheke covenant, which is what? Greater to, greater to lesser. Even though we are in this family of God, and, and you know, a lot of times it's inaccurately portrayed that Jesus is your, now your BFF, right? Your buddy, your best friend for life. No, you're in a diatheke covenant relationship. He's always the greater. Always and always will be. So it's greater to lesser. We come to him on his terms. John 3.16 is his terms. Right? God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Who set that up? God. Who set the terms? God. We either just accept it or reject it. That's diatheke. The greater sets the terms. We just accept it or reject it. 
Okay, so there's in this covenant, it's always greater to lesser. We also saw that, hey, in this covenant, it's the end of independent living. Right, Ernie? You can't be married to Sally and, and, and married from 9 to 10, 15, and then say, hey, Sally, once we eat our donuts, back to bachelorhood. Right? I mean, it's not going to fly. When you're in a covenant, you're in a covenant 24-7, 365. So we, we've learned a couple of weeks ago, hey, in relationship with the Lord, there's no more I, me, my. It's, it's, and that's a struggle for many of us who have been raised to be what? Independent. Be the boss. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. Be strong. Ask, you know what? Right? All of those, all of those things that just rail against this nature in us that just want to do our thing when we want it, how we want it. You're not the boss of me. And suddenly we realize, wait, he is the boss of me, and there is no more just me. It's we. Right? So in this covenant, it's greater to lesser. In this covenant, it's we. There's no more independent living. No more independent living. And last week, we looked at this word authority. Authority. Kind of ties in both of them. And I asked you a question, and it was kind of unanimous. How many of you like the word authority when you're the one in authority? How many of you don't really like the word authority when you're under authority from someone else? Right? And we looked at that, and, and we saw this story of this centurion, Luke 7, in your Bibles right there, verse 1, right? This centurion had a, had a sick servant. He comes to Jesus and says, Hey, I really care about this servant. He's sick and dying. Will you come? Will you come? He had heard that Jesus was able to heal. So Jesus says, Yeah, okay. Okay. So he's walking, and uh, Luke, let's look at, pick it up in verse 6, Luke 7, verse 6. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. If we're going to stay rooted, if we're going to press on in this changing culture, one of the things we're going to have to choose to do is settle the authority issue. Who's the authority? And we saw that when we say Lord, and many of us, Lord, reign in me. We just sang it. Jesus is Lord. What does that word Lord mean? Master. 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 And we looked at that. And we saw this Gentile centurion, a guy in charge of a hundred soldiers, said, hey, Jesus, by faith, I believe, you are the ultimate Lord. You are the ultimate master. You are the ultimate authority. Just say the word. My servant's going to be healed. Just say it. You have, you have authority even over disease. That's how much faith I have in you, Jesus. I submit. I trust your authority with this servant that I care about deeply. I'm entrusting this, this thing in my life, this person in my life that I love deeply and, don't, and want the best for. I'm entrusting them to your authority. And Jesus, it says, he marveled. He was amazed. Woohoo! Man! 
That's faith. And so we asked the question last Sunday. Where are you with the authority issue? Because it is a step of faith, isn't it? If, if we say, Jesus, Tyler, you said an, an offering, uh, he's master of my money. That's a pretty big step of faith, isn't it? Isn't that a big step of faith? To make Jesus master of your money and to, to obey biblical principles of stewardship? That's a step of faith. What about time? That's a step of faith. What about resources, use of resources, and surrendering it to his authority, right? Whose truck is it, right? See, when we, when we surrender, one of the things that, that I think many of us as believers have never connected was Jesus' authority and us responding in faith. Faith and trust. Faith and trust. So what is it for the centurion? He said, I love this servant. He's sick and he's dying, but I want to exercise my faith in Jesus' authority with this person that I care about deeply. What in your life right now? Is it like this? Like this. And you care about it. And it's pressing on. And you're, and you're a little bit insecure. And you're like, what do I do, Lord? What do I do, Lord? And he's like, give it to me. Let me be master in that area. Give it to me. But this is, I've always done it this way. And this is me. And, and, and da, 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 da. He's like, do you trust me? Exercise your faith in my authority in this area. And when you do, just like the centurion, the response Jesus had, wow! She actually trusts me! Woo! Good job, Dina. You actually trust Hey, hey, angels! She actually trusts me. Tina! Right? He marveled. He was amazed that the centurion trusted him with the well-being of a servant. What do you need to trust Jesus with today? What do you need to say, Lord, everything in me wants to hold on to this and control this. Everything in me. Because I don't know what's going to happen if I give it to you. What step of faith do you need to exercise and say, here, Lord, okay. You're able to do this. Just say the word. Okay? And, that, and that's, that's really one of those issues. Again, you've got to take the time to contemplate on it. You've got to really let the Lord kind of show you the stuff in your heart, the stuff in your life. As opposed to the centurion, turn to Mark. familiar story many of you know the story of what we call the rich young ruler and he was confronted with an authority issue he was confronted with an authority issue he was confronted with a faith issue giving up something near and dear to him and he chose differently he chose differently Mark 10 verse 17 as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees. The other uh, books of the gospel tell us he was a ruler, wealthy. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I've, I've heard that story for years and years and years. And generally and, and, and most often, it's portrayed about this guy, this wealthy individual who just has this greed. And if he would just get over his greed, then everything would have been fine. But the truth is, there's a lot more going on here than just greed. And a lot more that, that I believe God wants to speak to us about. Because if you look in verse, let's read it again. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Sounds pretty good, right? Sounds pretty good. There's a recognition that Jesus has been doing some things and teaching. Maybe he's heard about some miracles. He comes up, he even kneels down. Show of respect, outward respect. He says, good teacher. Kind of, you know, respectful uh, salutation. Good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So apparently he wants to be saved in a sense, right? We would call it he wants to be saved. Look at Jesus' response. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now the truth is, I used to skip that verse. Because it was about money, right? That verse, I don't really understand it, but... Just keep moving on. Oh, Jesus asked him to give up all his money, give it to the poor, and he'll be saved. And he just couldn't give up his money. You know, what are we holding on to? You know, that's his classic interpretation teaching of this. That verse right there, I thought, Lord, thank you. Because it goes right in line with what we've been looking Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Jesus is not denying that he's good or that he's God. What he's really saying is, do you really know what you're saying here? See, the word good in the culture and in the context, the word good was only reserved for one person. Who? God. Rabbis were never, never, uh, never addressed good teacher. That word good, there was something wrong with him using that. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 119, 68. You are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. The word good was only reserved for God. So Jesus is saying, um... Hmm, time out. I get your kneeling. I get your respect. But do you really know what you're saying? Do you really know who you're talking to? See, Jesus right off the bat starts to peel back the layers of religiosity and churchiness. This guy knows, oh, there's, there's, he's a rabbi, he's a good teacher, i got to kneel, that's respect, i, I got to do that. And then i got to address him somehow, okay, hey, good teacher, and Jesus says, hey, come on, man, 
Let's just get real. There's only one person that's good. God. You know that. I mean, Psalm 34, 8, someone. Are you calling me God? Am I God? Are you, are you, are you asking how to inherit eternal life from God? And that's the question for us. It goes back to when we say Jesus is Lord, are you saying He's Master? Are you calling me Master? Okay. Who affirms Jesus is Lord? Do you know what you're saying? Do you know what you're saying? Because there's only one Lord. There's only one Lord, Diana. Ah, you sure? You, you get it. You know who you're talking about, right? See, Jesus is Lord. We affirm that. We say it just like that. Hey, good teacher. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hold on here, cowboy. There's only one good person. That's God. Are you calling me God? Because if you truly believe I'm God, what I'm going to say next... <laughs> you get what I'm saying? He's calling him out on the front end. Hey, you called me good... There's only one person, that's God. So if you truly believe that you're asking God how to inherit eternal life, what I say next, you should listen to and obey. If we profess Jesus as Lord and Master, what He says matters. Right? What He says matters. And so, let's look. Let's look. So God says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So he loses good, now he just calls him a teacher. What's going on? What ultimately led, I believe, to to him walking away sad? He did not settle the issue of who he was talking to. If we do not settle the issue of the authority of who Jesus is, you're going to be wishy-washy. You have to settle the issue of who is Jesus. You've got to. Turn to Mark 6, okay, just a couple books, a couple chapters to your left. We looked at this last week. Again, people who didn't see Jesus for who he was. Mark 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives... And in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed, same word, he was amazed at their lack of faith. What's going on there? They're, 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 they're trying to, they get confused. Hey, didn't we used to play kickball with this guy? Right? I grew up with this dude. And now he's teaching in the synagogue doing miracles? What's up with that? And they didn't believe he was who he said he was. 
See, what's going on? It's the same issue. You have to settle the issue. You've got to drive the nail in, in the You've got to drive the stake in the ground. Who is Jesus? Is He Lord? Is He God? Because if you say that, what He says next matters. What He says next matters. In fact, one of those tough verses turned to Luke. Luke 6, uh, 46, Jesus' own words. Luke 6, 46. Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus right there. One of the most straightforward verses in the Bible. You're saying something with your mouth, but your, 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 life, your life isn't matching. It's, it's, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? See, here's the thing. If you profess Jesus as Lord, if you confess and profess His deity, there is a response required. Obedience. Greater, lesser, no more independent, authority. Why do you call me? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Is Jesus Lord? Oh. <laughs> Diana, is Jesus Lord? Yes. Okay. Thank you. That's the conviction of your heart. You're all in with that. Till death do you part from this planet. You're all in. Will not renounce that conviction to the best of your God-given ability that Jesus is Lord to the grave, right? To the best of your ability, then, in the power of the Holy Spirit, what are you called to do? Respond. Do what He says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? See, now this is where I know it gets real uncomfortable. And then people want to say, oh, now you're legalists. Oh, VCF, you guys are just a bunch of legalists over there. You believe that's God's Word? You believe it's not only God's Word, but you're supposed to do God's Word? Oh, believe me, I've heard the legalist thing thrown at me for years. And I always say, is it legalism or obedience? Because Luke 6.46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I didn't write that. I didn't write that. Now, I'm not laying a perfectionist trip on you. I'm just saying, Diana, together, as a shepherd, I want to help you do that in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And there may take time, this sanctification process, but it doesn't change the truth that Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Master? Why are you referring to me as God? And don't do what I say. And don't do what I say, right? Part of it, Right? And, and, and this other aspect in, in Mark, if we're going back to Mark 10, right? The rich young man. So there's an aspect of him calling Jesus good, and Jesus calls him out on it. He says, hey, you know what? If you're calling me good, then really you're calling me God. And what I say next really matters then, right? But there's another aspect of, of, of him calling him good. If you catch it in, in, hey, you know, yeah, I've obeyed all those commands, right? This guy, 
this rich young ruler, he thinks he's pretty good himself. He's a good guy. In fact, in that culture, money, wealth, was seen as a blessing from God. So he was getting affirmation. He was a ruler. He was successful. He was wealthy. In fact, he's so full of himself and feels that he's so good that Jesus lists commandments. He says, oh, got anything else? I've been doing that since I was a kid. What's the problem? He thinks he's pretty darn good. And one of the challenge of us submitting to authority, submitting to master and, and all the other things we've been talking the last few weeks, we think we're good. We, we come to Jesus kind of successful, comfortable, got jobs, dressed nice, got comfortable houses, cars, food, da-da-da-da-da, good moral people, good moral people. For the most part, you're good people here. I know you. I know you, but you know everyone else. You know, just kidding. For the most part, we're good people. So this idea of submission and authority and, and accountability, isn't that for bad people? The bad people need, need Jesus' authority. The bad people need to obey. The bad people. But I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Mark, you're a good person. You take mission teams to Haiti, right? You love your wife, right? You're a good person. So why do you want... Don't good people just get to pick and choose? Because they're good. They're good. We have this idea of goodness. Many of you know I grew up in the Catholic Church. Went to Mass every weekend. Could not miss. And... and Knew the Ten Commandments. Went to Sunday school and all of that. You know, everything. I was a good person. And usually we define good as, you know, we don't commit the biggies. Right? The biggies. We knew the Ten Commandments. So just don't commit the biggies. And you're good. You go to church. I'm a good person. So, hey, teacher, tell me a good person how to get to eternity. You see? He's already... His ability to receive... What, he, what Jesus really wants to communicate at the heart level is already hardened. Because in his mind, I'm good to go, really. I'm good to go. And in fact, what he's saying, hey, teacher, tell me how to get to eternal life that doesn't mess up my world. Tell me how to get this eternal life thing on my terms, on my terms. I just want, I just want enough of God I just want enough of church, but not enough to really move the furniture in my life. So, hey, teacher, I'm a good person. Just tell me how to get this, how to, how to get saved. How do I get saved? But don't make it uncomfortable. And here's the radical thing, okay? Nothing wrong with, with sinners' prayers. I get all that. And I don't want to open a can of worms. But Jesus doesn't lead him in a prayer. He's asking Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? In our vernacular, hey, how do I get saved? Jesus does not say, well, say this prayer after me. Hmm. Right? Jesus does not have him repeat a prayer and break out a, a little booklet. No, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't do that. He says, no, okay, 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 Mr. Good Guy. Let's get to the heart. Let's talk heart here. 
Look what he says. I love 21. Jesus looked at him and what? Loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Oh, kind of sounds like diatheke. I'm going to set the terms. I'm setting the terms here because you called me God. I'm setting the terms. You come follow me. There's no more you. And I'm going to be the authority. So right off the bat, here's what you can do to demonstrate that. To demonstrate the heart change. Don't just say it. Don't just repeat a prayer. I'm going to give you something tangible to do as an expression of your faith. Amen? What does the Bible say in James? Faith without works is dead. If we are professing Jesus as Lord, if He is Master and Authority, our life should bear the fruit of it. Amen? Our life should bear the fruit of that inward profession, conviction, right? Not perfectly necessarily, but it should be the bent of our heart. It should be the, that's my desire, that's what I want, right? That's what I want. Look what it says here in, let me find this verse. It's, it's just a wonderful verse. Let's turn to uh, Mark 8. Mark 8, as we wrap it up here. Mark eight twenty seven. Right? Jesus says this. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about Him. Simple answer. You are the Christ. What is Christ? Anointed One. Messiah. So Jesus says, Hey! Who do people in the Ojai Valley say I am? Right? Coming up to stand strong. And then He gets personal with His disciples. But who do you say I am? You say, Lord. Christ. We have to settle that issue this morning. Settle that issue this morning. Even if you've been in church for one decade, two decades, one week, it's the same question. Because when we leave here and we go back to work in our homes and we have to make decisions with our time and money and resources and relationships, that profession that Jesus is Lord touches everything. That conviction that Jesus is Lord and Master and Authority touches every area of our life. So the, the, the real the question, the heart level question, who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? In, in Mark 10, the rich young ruler walked away sad. Right? He's like, oh man, I thought it was on my terms. Oh man, really? You got to be boss. You want you want my money? You want me to change my life? This is all I am. This is, and he walked away sad. Right now, what in your life? It could be just at salvation. Is Jesus Lord? Have you have you come to that place in your life where you go, Lord? Okay, 
The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, none do good. Have you started at the place where you would say, Lord, have mercy on me. I just don't have it all together. I just don't have it all together. What did Jesus say? I love it. He says, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. Jesus didn't call to come people who thought they were good and had it all together and looked really good on Sunday morning. You know what Jesus came to do? Seek and save the lost. Good thing, right? Because the truth be known, nobody in this room, including me, have it all together. We're just really good at covering it up. We're just really, really good at looking really, really good. But you got stuff. And you got stuff. And you're broken. And you're wounded. And Jesus said, I just, those, that's who I came. That's why I came. I came to seek and save the lost. And, and settling this issue of, of who is Jesus begins with accepting the fact that you're not good. There's none good. So just join the rest of us. And when you get over yourself and you join the rest of us, then you say this, but you are. But you are. You're the only one that's good. And then you receive His grace. And you receive His mercy. And you receive His, his faithfulness. In your brokenness, in your lostness, in, in, in your woundedness, in your hurts, you say, Lord, Forgive me for getting overly full of myself and getting into that good mindset. There's none good except you. I'm only here this morning by the grace of God. But for the grace of God, where would you be this morning? (laughs) Right? So we come back to that place of, Father, forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my self-righteousness. You came in to seek and save the lost. That's me. That's me. And, and forgive me for battling you in this area of authority. I don't necessarily like when I say it. It doesn't thrill me. But okay, you're God. You're Master. I have these areas in my life where I've been controlling it and holding on to it so tenaciously and I've deceived myself into thinking that it's all about me and if I let it go, it's just going to collapse. Lord, this morning, i got to give that to you in faith. The centurion entrusted the health and well-being of his servant to Jesus. I'm going to do the same. I'm going to do the same. By faith. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, We thank You this morning for reminding us, teaching us, piercing our hearts with the truth that You're not just a good teacher, You're God. You're Lord, You're Master, You're Authority. And in that, You came to seek and save the lost, which is us. And so this morning, we uh, we just stop and we... I just want to be honest. Maybe we've been in church for a long time and we've never 
settled the issue of who you are, Jesus. Are you just a good teacher? Are you a good moral guy? Are you just one of these prophets of history? Or are you God, Christ, Messiah, the Anointed One? Lord. Over all. Over everything in my life. And maybe for some this morning, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord for salvation. Maybe you thought like the rich young ruler, I'm good, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, I'm good enough. And you realize there's no one good. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. And if you're here this morning and you've never entrusted Jesus Christ with your salvation, with, with your soul, with the well-being of your soul for eternity, and by faith, believe on Jesus Christ this morning. Believe what the Bible says on the authority of Scripture that Jesus Christ was crucified, He died, He was buried, He rose again, paying the penalty for your sin. Put your faith in Jesus alone. And if you're here and you've been in church, but Jesus hasn't been Lord of everything, you've been trying to make it on your terms, what's convenient, what fits, maybe you've been scared to trust Him. If that's you, then this morning, settle that issue with God as well. Purpose in your heart. Jesus is Lord. Till death do I part this earth. Jesus is Lord. And every day I'm going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Despite my fear, despite my selfishness, despite my self-righteousness, I will submit to the Lordship of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit by faith. A profession of lordship requires a response of obedience. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? So respond this morning. Respond by putting your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Respond this morning by confessing if you have been rebelling against His Lordship. Just respond in whatever way the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Respond. Respond right now. And Jesus, as we take communion, we do it just in an attitude of, of humility and reverence for who you are. You are God. You are Lord. The passage of the rich young ruler in Mark 10, I love the way it ends. Verse 28, Peter says to Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. This is after the rich young ruler walks away sad. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. And then Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. I love that. Peter says, hey, we've left all to follow you. And you know what Jesus says? You're going to get blessed. You're blessed 
And what he's talking about is you are blessed because you were put into the family of God. And you have new brothers and sisters and all the resources of God. That's the joy of submitting to Jesus' lordship. Jesus says, amen. And Peter says, we, we left all to follow you. And I love Jesus. Hey, that's awesome, Peter. And you know what? Because you did, you're blessed. You're blessed on, on your time on earth and you're blessed for eternity. So just remember, when, when, we, when we talk about eternal life in the context of the Bible, eternal life isn't just quantity, it's quality. So when Jesus says, I came to give you life and life abundantly, he's not just talking about when you get to heaven, everything's going to be hunky-dory. He says, no, no. Trust me, submit to me as Lord, and enjoy the abundant life I have for you this day in Ojai. Amen? Amen.